Gracious Heavenly Father, we have uh, witnessed grace this morning through holy baptism into our finished and completed work in Jesus Christ. But that work, Father, that is finished and completed, that you worked on our behalf, requires the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he then brings us into all the blessings that you have for us, Father, by faith. We pray this morning that as you bring to us your word, Father, that we might just be that little bit more rooted and grounded in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, steadier, Father, in the faith and able to resist the world, the flesh and the devil that little bit more. Please hear our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously on Trinity Sunday we're going to have a message about the triune God of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But what is it to know God? Should be the first thing that we as Christians are asking ourselves. What is it to know God? Well, to know God is to know him as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And how do you know anyone? How do you get to know someone? Through relationship. And so our God is a relational God. They, in fact, as one God and three persons, relate to one another as Father, Son and Holy Spirit in the perfect unity of love. And then we get caught up in that. We get to come and share in that relationship. And so personally for me, as I get older and some of you might laugh that I'm getting older, I just want to know God more. I really want to get to know him. Anything less is really religiousness, isn't it? So what would it be like when you get to heaven and you actually get to meet Jesus Christ? Will you actually know him? Not physically, but will you know him? Will you have so have related with him here that when you get to see him and be with him, there will be a relationship of knowing. I had a girl once in a Bible study a few years ago who talked about heaven more than anybody I've ever met and all she wanted to do was eat as much chocolate cake as she possibly could when she got to heaven. She had the idea that heaven would be pleasure upon pleasure and there'd be no consequences and always talked about heaven. Never talked about Jesus. And one day I said to her, do you know that, do you know what makes heaven heaven? She said, what? I said, Jesus. I said, so what are you going to do when you get to heaven, if you get to heaven and Jesus is there? See, it's a relationship. And so in the beginning when, when God created the creation, God the Father actually created all things through his word. Who is his word? His son. We know him to be the son. But listen to the word through. God the Father created all things by or through the son. Now that's important because we're going to look at salvation and we're going to see that salvation is by God the Father through the son. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters and God says, speaks, 
let there be light and the Spirit actually makes that Word effective. That Word could not actually do its work without the Holy Spirit. Some of you might say, well, I've been baptised into the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Well, then you and I need to talk. We need to have a conversation or you need to have a conversation with your pastoral assistants. If you've been baptised into the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it has deep significance and meaning, doesn't it? And so they are one God and yet they work in different ways and in different roles. Yet the whole of the new creation which we're about to speak of is actually fully dependent on the Father sending his Son to become the Lord Jesus Christ, to become man. So God and man together as a human being. But he lives fully as a human being, as God the Son. And at every point, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he never does anything apart from the Holy Spirit. If you're a student of the Scriptures, everything he does is in, by and through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that it's the same with our salvation. We are rooted and grounded in the triune God. And that's it. That's a fact. That's the truth. Romans 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, past tense, and we're going to have a look at that, we have peace with God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Martin Luther makes the point that the Gospel is in the prepositions. What are the prepositions? In Christ, through Christ, with Christ, by Christ. Can you remember that? In Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ. Paul says we have peace with God not because I've been a good little boy. As if you have. Or I've been a good little girl. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, which means you do not have peace with God on any other basis but the Son. If you lack peace with God, then you are actually trying to probably earn that peace, which is why you don't actually have it. Because you only have peace with the Father through the Son and you try to come to the Father through the Son any other way and you can't. You have to come to the peace of the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. Much worship today, much worship today begins with us. Go to churches and you'll see that it's actually starting with us. Brothers and sisters, we actually believe it doesn't start with us, do we? We believe that worship actually takes place in the triune God, we are people who share, notice the word, share in the worship of Jesus Christ to the Father. We share in it and the only reason we share in that worship is because we have access to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Hence, you're always relying on God for everything you do. Paul then says, through Him we have also obtained access into the Holy of Holies, into the Father 
by this grace in which we now stand. So all creation was created by him or through him and redemption is through him. Salvation is through him. William just got baptised into the person of Jesus Christ by the word and the water, the Holy Spirit. Think about baptism. Think about the word mystery. Do you know that it's a mystery that you are actually baptised into the death of Jesus, into his resurrection? That's, that's a long time ago. The mystery is the Spirit actually brings us into that. And so the Bible talks so much about mystery. There's a sacred mystery where you're looking at me and I'm looking at you. You're sitting on chairs, I'm up here. But by faith, we're actually in the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So faith gives us the ability to see what? To see into the unseen realms where we dwell. Now I'm going to speak about justification now because that peace that we're talking about with Christ or through Christ comes on the back of a past tense justification. Imagine being in a Lutheran church and people say justification's too big a word. Can you, can you imagine that? What does this church stand or fall on? The preaching and teaching of justification by faith. And yet, people come to me and say, Chris, what does that word mean? So I'm going to speak about it and then over the next 13 weeks, we're going to look at a book called Galatians and we're going to speak about it a lot. But Luther said the church stands or falls on the preaching of justification. The language that Paul uses, therefore having been justified by faith, is past tense. It means that if you were to take a photo of the work of the cross, a snapshot photo, you would see that on that cross God is justifying us through the Son, the man Jesus Christ. And how is he doing that work of justification? He's laying our sin upon him. He's put him forward as a sacrifice of atonement. The Father has done it. He is righteously judging our sins in him. Christ is given over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Where are you in that event? I need to ask that question because we are a very egotistically religious driven people where we are always referring to ourselves as somehow the beginning of our salvation. Where were you when the Father was laying sin on Jesus Christ? And what were you doing back then? You were passively being crucified. You were passively being judged by the Father for all of your sins. Can you then turn around and say to God, thank you that I have done this or I have done that? How many of you can remember your baptism apart from William? Who was baptised here? Don't put your hand up. But how many were baptised as children? I bet you there were a lot. What is that saying about our will in baptism? When you're a little child, you actually have to be carried, don't you? Are you saying, I want to be baptised? 
You're being carried. Against, really, against your own will. In the cross, Adam, who represents all of us in our sin, gets carried by the Father in Jesus Christ. We, we actually don't initiate anything. We don't actually do anything. It's all happening there for us. It is all a work of grace. It is all of God. It is none of us. And yet I know that grace is humiliating to my proud human spirit. Grace is humiliating to the proud human spirit. But it also humbles you. Grace also humbles you. It does, a, it does two works. Why is it humiliating to hear that it is all done for you? Why is it humiliating to hear that past tense, God has justified you, He's done it through the Son, He's acquitted you, another word, of the guilt of all of your sin in Jesus Christ. He has not counted your sin against you. He has not because He's counted it against Jesus Christ. Why is that so hard for us to believe and receive? Because we want to have a say in it. We want to put something forward. And don't look at me like you don't. It's a battle to do that. It's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit is religious. Deeply religious. Come and talk to me about all the things that I have to deal with in a week. So much of it is religious. We want things by which we can say, I am justified. And here's an example. Who here finds that when somebody comes and actually tells you about a weakness of yours or taps you on the shoulder or even your wife or your husband happen to point out something that's wrong with you, who here actually gets their back up a little bit? Naturally, we start to defend ourselves, don't we? We actually say, well, why would you say that against me or whatever it may be. That is called self-justification. Imagine that you never have to ever do that again. Imagine that you're so free in God's grace that a person can actually come up to you and say to you something that is wrong about you. And you can say, thank you. And you're not justifying yourself. Would that be good? How come somebody can come and say that and you don't have to justify yourself? Well, God has already done that, therefore you don't have to defend yourself or be justifying yourself. You can say, thank you, my God and Father has already acquitted me of all of the guilt of my sin. I'm going to be a free person, which is what Luther just wanted for the church, for us to be free in Christ. And so it is the Father who justifies us. Who is to condemn It's Christ Jesus who died. Now, how many of you here think you've reached a a stage in your life where you now know justification so well? You so know it, you're so secure in it that you can now move on to other things. 
you know what? We never know it like we should. As soon as any kind of pressure comes to me, as soon as any accusation comes to me or any failure comes to me, I, I, I don't even think I know what it is to be justified sometimes by grace through faith. The devil can so poison the darts in my heart that I can believe a lie as though it is true. Brothers and sisters, do you take for granted this message, this teaching? If you you somehow take it for granted, it means that you're missing something. You're missing the heart of it. Now, I'm going to give you a different take on it. To be justified by grace through faith is actually a legal term by which God the Father can never, ever count sin against you. Do you know that God the Father cannot count sin against you? Not that he will not, but if you have faith in Christ, he cannot. Now, who here thinks that I'm a bit of a heretic? Do you know the church was built on a guy who was accused of being a heretic, an outlaw and a rebel? Do you know what his name was? Yep. God cannot legally charge you with one drop of the guilt of your sin because he has already done that through his son Jesus Christ. So legally, he actually cannot charge you or count your sin against you. Therefore, you are freed, justified and forgiven. Now, are you that bold? Are you that bold in your faith that you know he cannot do that? Or do you still have some doubt? You're all looking at me like I am a bit of a heretic here. But it's legal. If God was to charge you with any sin, do you know that that if you're a baptised believer in Jesus Christ, if the Father was to charge you with any sin, he'd be unjust. He's already done it. He can't double it up and do it again. And my prayer is every morning for myself, Father, may I live as a secured child of God in your forgiveness and your justification because it doesn't take much for me to be insecure. David says it this way, quoting from Romans 4, 6-8. to Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom the Father counts righteousness apart from works. Righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Righteousness is to be forgiven the entirety of of all of your sins, which means it cannot be by a any work. One work cannot do it. Now, one of the greatest dangers to the Christian church is that we hear that message and then we say, now I need to maintain my peace with God. Do you really? Are you the one who has to maintain your peace with God? 
Are you the one who has to maintain that verdict of justification and not guilty and declaration of righteous? Do you have to maintain that? Be very careful how you answer it. If you say yes, you're a legalist. And then you're in trouble. How does the peace come? Through Christ. Does the peace come because of anything you do? No. The peace comes through Christ on the basis of the work of the cross which means it excludes anything you do. So your obedience as a Christian does not earn you peace with God in one single way. Are we really Trinitarian in our understanding that the Father brings his peace only through the Son, through the work of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit like he's doing today, is to convince all of us that this is actually true. And so how does he convince us it's true? He causes us to actually believe it and to live by faith in it. And yet, if you're like me, which I'm guessing you are, you kind of have this thing called faith and then on the other side of you, you have a thing called doubt. Does anybody live here with faith and doubt kind of simultaneously operating throughout your Christian life? So what's the Holy Spirit doing with you? He's actually trying to overcome those doubts. He's trying to overcome those fears by working the most simplest thing in all the world, faith and faith alone. And yet by the time we grow up and we're in our 50s and 60s, we feel like we're just learning this lesson of faith. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace in Jesus Christ is a gift. And I'm going to close with what it is to stand in grace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand present tense and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How often have you, and I'd really love to know, how often have you felt so weak, so weighed down with sin, maybe even depressed? How many of you have been ready to give up and turn away? only to find yourself standing upright in the grace of God. Even though we fall, in Jesus Christ by grace we stand. Brothers and sisters, in fact, it's true that you might fall and you might stumble and you might sin, but in Jesus Christ... By his grace, listen to these words, through him you stand. You stand and the grace of God causes you to stand. And he picks you up and you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that continuing, ongoing grace that causes you to stand in him 
and I know what it is to want to give up. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. Brothers and sisters, undergirding you, undergirding us, is the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ in His grace and the Holy Spirit and we are in the everlasting arms, if I can put it that way. Even so, we rejoice in the hope now of the glory of God. My last sentence, brothers and sisters, is that our future is actually not made up of mere events. Our future may have birthdays and deaths and funerals and weddings. Our future is a person. Our future is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who comes to us and has already come to us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.